What is the difference between a physician assistant and a certified physician assistant? Defining the PA-C. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Janet Lathrop, President and CEO for the National Commission on Certification of Physician Assistants. Today we're discussing the PA certification process and the history of the NCCPA. Hi, Janet. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, Janet, let's start with a little history lesson on PA certification. In 1965, four ex Corpsmen were enrolled in the first PA program, and what followed was the proliferation of PA programs and the need to develop some type of program evaluation mechanism. Tell us where the NCCPA fit into that PA history and how it's become the certifying body for physician assistants in the United States. Well, PA certification has been around almost as long as the PA profession itself. Discussions about how to make certain that physician assistants possess the core knowledge and cognitive skills needed to enter practice were part of the earliest conversations, really, about starting up this new profession back in as early as the 1970s. In fact, in 72, it was the National Board of Medical Examiners and the American Medical Association that convened representatives from 14 different organizations to discuss the need for establishing an independent certifying body for the PA profession. And then three years later, the NCCPA was formed to fulfill that role. So what does it mean to be a certified physician assistant? In general, I I believe that it means that the PA is committed to a career-long process of learning and evaluation, and that a certified PA has demonstrated a breadth of knowledge across all organ systems, and that they've shown that they know how to care for a patient, from the history-taking process to conducting physical exams, to formulating diagnoses, developing treatment plans, prescribing medications and treatments, and just kind of following the patient through. Could you go through the process of how a PA gets certified in the United States? Yes. Well, you know, they would take the initial certifying, they would graduate from an accredited PA program in the United States, and they would take our PANTS exam, which is the Physician Assistant National Certification Exam. Our mission is to assure that certified PAs meet professional standards of knowledge and skills. So they would take our our certification exam, they'll pass the exam, they'll be awarded the C, and in all 50 states, that is required for licensure. Tell us about the exam. For the PANTS exam, the initial, it's based on a core curriculum of basically mirrors the PANRAE blueprint. It covers different organ systems and diseases and disorders. So they take the PANTS exam and they pass it. Now moving forward, what are the requirements to stay certified? Different in, in different states. There's about maybe half of the states require NCCPA certification for relicensure. 100 hours of CME every two years and a recertification exam every six and, and how does that compare to other medical specialties or MDs, DOs, or nurse practitioners? MPs are trained in the nursing model, while physicians and DOs and PAs are trained in the medical model. I think PA practice is unique because it's kind of based on the concept of team practice, where the supervising physician plays a key role. There's variability from state to state. The majority of states, PA scope of practice is based wholly on delegation of authority from a supervising physician. And I think for physicians, that means that they can empower the PAs whom they've worked with to do nearly any task that they themselves would do. And I think this provides for increased efficiencies within a practice and often allows a practice to serve a growing patient population. So when you talk about taking the recertification exam every six years, currently PAs are the most tested profession in the history of medicine. And many PAs ask, why so often? 
Um, there aren't any other medical professions that test that often. The rigor of the PA research process was not an accident. I mean, those involved in the design of this process wanted the PAs to be able to say that they were held to the highest standards out there. In fact, PAs joined family practice physicians as the first groups who held themselves to a retesting requirement, really. And at that time, the family practice physicians were also retesting every six years. And that's really only changed fairly recently as they've added a number of other hurdles to their maintenance of certification process. But that early commitment to a, a rigorous testing and retesting process helped PAs gain the traction needed to earn the right to practice in all 50 states, in my opinion. And it's really been a positive thing for the profession as a whole. And do I dare say for most PAs as well, or at least those who've been in practice for a while might agree with that. But of course, you know, if you bring it down to the level of the individual PA, it changes a bit. I mean, I know, you know, no one really likes to be tested on the breadth of medical practice every six years. But there might be a few out there who enjoy the challenge, but for most, it's right up there with paying taxes. We know it's important and we have to do it, but we do like to grumble about it. Do we see that changing anytime soon? Not really anytime soon. And our board definitely is always open to new ideas. We've heard several times that people would like us to go to a 10-year research process. We'll be looking at that as we look at our whole maintenance of competencies, maintenance of certification process in general. So I can at least say it'll be discussed. Does a physician assistant have to be certified to practice? Well, that's dependent on states, I believe. It's also dependent on their employers, I, I believe, for, for different types of reimbursement. Some require certification and not. So I think it's kind of a depending on their environment that they work. Is that state dependent as well? Yes. In every state, you know, you have to, we talked about having to pass the initial, the pants exam, and in about half of them, you, it's required to pass the PANRI, our research exam for relationship. And how can someone find out or verify if a PA is certified? They can go to our website, www.nccpa.net, and we have a little section there, uh, Verify PAC. They can just input the PA's name, state, and some other identifying information, very general information, and it'll, it'll pull up the individuals. They just click on them, and they'll see the information and can also print a report. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Janet Lathrop, President and CEO for the National Commission on Certification of Physician Assistants. Today we are discussing the PA certification process and the history of the NCCPA. So Janet, let's talk a little about how the certification process has changed over the years. There used to be Pathway 2, or still is, but tell us about Pathway 2. Okay. Certification process in general has definitely changed a bit over the years. The basic requirements have remained the same. There's the initial certification exam, the research exam every six, and the CME in between. But standards have been raised along the way. The rigor of the process has gotten a little tighter. The CME auditing process is an example of that. I would say for the individual PA, the most dramatic change has probably been the testing process itself, and it's been a good change. I mean, even up until the very late 90s, 1990s, our exams were only available a handful of days a year at a very limited number of locations. And today, PAs can take our exam any day of the year in several hundred locations around the U.S., and we also provide international testing. The Pathway 2 has been an alternative to the traditional research exam for probably about the last 10 years. And it was developed largely in answer to the PA specialists who were, did not like the fact that they had to come back again and again to recertify and be tested on, on a generalist exam. And Pathway 2 at the time allowed them to take an open book exam 
and they could research questions. And ultimately, though, we realized that it just didn't make sense to offer that as an alternative, mostly regarding the fact that a take-home exam didn't really seem to be an appropriate evaluation tool for a high-stakes certification exam. And 2010 will be the last year we give the pathway to. Will there be any type of test to replace it? There is nothing to replace it per se. We have kind of morphed our recertification exam into a more practice-focused, practice-friendly exam called the practice-focused pantry, which allows the individual taking the exam to choose one of, right now, a few options to add on to their recertification exam. Their practice focus here is not necessarily, quote, specialty questions. They're more general questions in that practice-focused area. And that we launched this year, this March. And what happened to the surgery exam? The surgery exam was a standalone exam that we offered for a while. The results of passing that wasn't certification. It was recognition of knowledge in the area of surgery. And honestly, after a while, we just the, the numbers were dwindling so of takers that it was starting to lose money. So the you know it, it, with most of our products, we try to have them the fees for our products be break even. And to offer the surgery at a break-even price, it was, I can't really remember now, I want to say it was eight or $900 an exam, and it just wasn't, we didn't feel that with the dwindling numbers, we didn't feel it would be reasonable to charge the PAs, the few that were taking it, that kind of money. So does the new practice-focused exam offer some type of specialty recognition? No. It still results in the same certification, the same research, the same generalist fee. What happens if they take the pants and they don't pass it? That individual can try again up to six times in the six years following graduation. So you, if you look at it from the time of graduation, you've got six years and or six attempts to pass the exam. If they don't, then they're no longer eligible to sit for the pants. And then what about the research exam? What if you don't pass that? Well, that again, that will vary state to state, employer to employer. Sometimes, unfortunately, you know, the answer is that they can't work. I mean, that does happen. Because of that, we try to give all, all our recertifying PAs the best chance at success. We allow them to take the exam a year early in their fifth year if they want to. They have two chances to pass that year and two in the next year. So they really have four attempts to pass. And giving them that flexibility helps them plan and prepare for their exam around their other major life events. Sometimes if a PA is planning a job change or a marriage or childbirth, any of those major things that take up a good bit of time, they at least have the flexibility and the chance to work something as important and time-consuming as the research exam around that, their schedules. So in between the recertification exams, the requirement for continuing medical education is 100 on two-year cycles. And when the PA acquires the CME and they enter it into the system at the NCCPA, how long should they keep the, that CMA info? I believe we suggest for a seven-year period Typical six-year recertification period would be fine as well. They would usually know after their two-year cycle if they were going to get audited. So six years seems safe. Six, seven years seems like a safe bet. What's included in the audit process if you're chosen to do so? PA is asked to submit documentation supporting the hours that they had logged. We review it. We make sure it's accurately reported. We kind of verify it. The vast, vast majority of the time, in the 90 percentile, everything's fine. And in the few instances where they can't, we can't come up with documentation or the PA just can't or the, the event that they, you know, the, the CME place that they took it, then they end up kind of, I guess, failing it. I don't even know if that's the word we use. But the ramifications are they just have to make up those hours during their next cycle. 
So what common mistakes do you see PAs making in the certification process? And, and what advice do you have for students and established PAs so that this whole process goes smoothly for them? Well, that's a good question. I guess the most avoidable mistake is, is probably one that's going to sound really crazy in this day and age, but it's, it's sometimes PAs just forget to let us know that they've moved and changed email addresses. We try to do a really good job of keeping in touch with everyone and letting them know all the things that they need to do, giving them lots and lots of reminders. And when PAs forget to tell us that, we can't really get in touch with them. So we lose touch. They miss out on our reminders. We actually have someone who travels around the country, and when she visits PA programs and she's explaining the certification process, she likes to tell them that when you move, tell the NCCPA before you even tell your mom. (laughs) Because that does help. But believe it or not, that is one of the biggest mistakes is just not keeping in touch and and keeping their information up to date with us. And what's the relationship between the NCCPA and the AAPA? It's really terrific, you know, and I'm happy to say that. I'm I'm very happy to be able to say that. We have a very collegial, professional relationship. There, I guess, not so new CEO. He's been a year now. Bill Lineweber is a terrific colleague. And, you know, we. I think that there'll obviously be issues that the professional organization, the certifying body aren't going to agree with, but I think we're at a point where we can, we can at least listen to each other respectfully and, and agree to disagree and or agree when we agree it's great. And uh, I would say in the 10 years I've been here, it's really the relationship is the best it's, it's ever been. Well, under your leadership in 2007, the NCCPA received the Georgia Oglethorpe Award for Performance Excellence. Tell us a little about that. The Georgia Oglethorpe Award is Georgia's level equivalent to the Baldridge Award, the National Baldridge Award. And a few years ago when we decided that we'd like to apply for the Baldridge, we, in researching it, found out that their suggestion is that, you know, you go through your state first, which makes a lot of sense. So we did, and we won, and we were the first organization to win it on our first try, which was really terrific because our, you know, generally, you know, we weren't really doing it for the award, which was terrific. It's the process you go through to get there. It's the systems you put in place and the cost-reducing measures and Six Sigma process that makes you a better organization. Real good benefit, I felt, from receiving the award was that a third party was able to say to our PA customers, you know, we're re- NCCPA's efficient and doing the best they can with your dollars. And that was important to me because we could say that till we're blue in the face, but when you have a third party kind of affirm your your hard work. It it felt good. Well, keep up the good work. And thanks, Janet, for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It was terrific. I appreciate it. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.